When you're having a conversation with someone and they ask you about your faith, what do you say? How do you respond if someone has a question that maybe you don't know the answer to? What do you do about that? Well, later in the podcast, I'm going to speak to someone that has a passion for apologetics, which means giving an answer for your faith, helping others understand your faith. I am really looking forward to this conversation a little bit later on. But for now, I want to welcome you all to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta, and I'm just going to hang out for a little bit with Chris Dalglish and Steve Lamar to get things going on. So, Chris, what's up, man? Hey, you guys having a good week? Mostly. It's been a week, yeah. Yeah, it's hot. It's it like, is hot. It's like the weather kicked in. And uh, yeah, been a bit been a bit busy around here, but uh, we're all we're all doing okay. And hopefully, the listeners right now are enjoying some sunshine and uh, listening to our podcast. And uh, hey, thanks for tuning in. As always, um, I have I have a lot I, a lot of things I want to share with our listeners. A lot of our journey. I want you to jump into a lot of what's going on at Way, but also what's going on in our community and our community lives. We do have quite a bit going on, so I encourage you to check out our our website and our socials and uh, stay informed on all the goings-on because uh, there is quite a bit. So cool, cool. Here's my thought for, for you guys for today, and we'll, we'll kind of flesh this out, is what is worship? Because we tried at our gathering at the arena to worship through the Psalms. And we're going to explore that a little more where you just, you know, you read the Psalm and then you pause and you reflect upon it. And for the sake of the audience, which was a lot of new Christians and young people, I spent more time fleshing it out than pausing so that they could kind of get a grasp of what we're talking about. Because I find the Psalms to be beautiful but also like they're so deep that perhaps a young a young believer or even a young person doesn't understand the depth so what is worship to you steve yeah i have actually studied this pretty deeply since joining way because i walked in to way not really understanding worship i thought i understood worship and then we started introducing the house of worship and what we were doing, I'm going, is this, is this worship? What, what does it look, what did worship look like when Paul was an apostle? What, what is worship? Mm-hmm. So I started researching it and the best answer I can come up with from all the different things I've looked at is it is an intentional connection to God. It is when you find a way that you and God connect. So that can be through singing songs, that can be through dance, that can be through art, that can be through you sitting on the side of a river with your eyes closed, just praising and believing that God is sovereign. As long as you are connecting with God, I believe that is worship. It has made me think about when I was in grade nine and I was at a Christian high school, and it was the first time at the Christmas banquet that they were going to allow dancing. Now... That's fairly scandalous in, Definitely. in a Christian school environment. So they didn't want to call it that. And so rather than dance, they called it interpretive movement. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And I see some of that. I kept sometimes. on trying to interpret, and I wasn't getting anywhere. <laughs> I got the movement down. Oh, no. But there was a the opportunity to do, like, actually like an interpretive movement competition. Mm-hmm. And I happened to win. Nice wow, work. I'm not go. sure. I don't know if that means that they did interpret or didn't. That explains yeah. your uh, <laughs> but, unique worship styles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for me, like, worship is... I, I think literally to ascribe worth. Mm-hmm. What do we give our importance yep. to? Where do we put our priority mm-hmm. in, in our mind, in our heart, in our actions, mm-hmm. in in every part? So yeah, we have our worship gatherings and and worship music. All of that reflects where our priority is in some mm-hmm. ways, but there's so many other things as well. Yep. But I also think there is something powerful um, when we are having that direct engagement with God. Oh, yeah. That things happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things change. There is a certain spiritual power mm. when we are inviting God to be a part of, of our situations. Because God can do whatever he wants, but he often waits for an invitation mm-hmm. to intervene. And, and so when we are actively pursuing that together, you know, that's why I think there's a lot of powerful things happen in corporate worship settings, mm-hmm. because when we are all putting our heart, soul, mind, and strength towards God, yep. we're filtering out the distractions of everything else that could possibly be on our mind. And that is where we're focusing. It's of mm-hmm. no surprise to me that amazing and powerful things happen. And- I think I think what I've learned in my 40 years on this planet um, and having been someone who's been a worship pastor, but also being a singer songwriter touring with non-Christian, uh, well, Christian, Christian band that played, you know, secular concerts. I recognize now that there's not a, a huge distinguishing dis- difference between a rock concert and a Sunday morning karaoke session at your church. Mm-hmm. And I say that with all the love and respect for my, my brothers who are leading worship for their churches. There isn't a huge difference. It's just a little more organized. And there's someone passing around an offering plate. And Well, I, concerts just do that on the way in. That's right. you got to pay to come in. Uh, for the karaoke bar you got, or karaoke church, you gotta pay while you're sitting there and, and enjoying. But the difference to me is posture, because the people who are coming in to the concert are there to hear the music and, in a way, low key worship the musicians, ascribe worthiness to those musicians and respect and honor to those musicians. Oh wow, look how great they are! They're, you know, they sing and they have this angst that I can buy into. There's all this emotional side to it, too. So in a way, in a very secular way, those celebrities are being worshipped. And I don't believe there's a very... I think there's a very fine distinguisher between being a worship pastor and being a, a micro-celebrity. What I will say is it's about the posture, and that posture is for the people. And if you're a pastor, a worship pastor, worship leader, who postures yourself as I am here to just worship God. And it, it's, I'm not here to give you the hits. 
I'm not here to create a moment of, of emotion. I'm here because God is more important to me than anything else. He's overcome so many things in my life. And so in this moment, I'm going to thrust my attention upon him fully and draw words to my mind and to my heart and to my voice that describe his worthiness of how worthy he is, how holy, how righteous he is. That's a posture. And that's the difference between a, a rock concert and, and a church service. It's a posture. And that posture starts with the leader. If that leader disciples and models posture for his, the people who are joining him in that worship service, they too will learn to posture themselves in worship. I love to think of it actually as being a tour guide. Yeah, Absolutely. Because I'm actually seeing the sights with you, but I've also been there, so I've, I've seen it. Like You can't lead someone in worship if you haven't been there yourself. That's beautiful. And so when I lead worship and I was you know, working in that kind of a setting on a regular basis, I would often remind the team of that. Mm-hmm. That we are, we first have to go to that place. Yeah. Or else it will just be a karaoke session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I'm not always that great. And so you don't necessarily want to come and see me do karaoke. Hey, I make joyful noise, man. <laughs> yeah. I will say the other thing that I really reflect upon now that I'm 40 um, is like a lot of churches I go to are singing songs. They're like, oh, we can't sing songs that are older than five years old. I'm like, okay, well, how many of you have a playlist on your phone right now? that has songs that are only new within the last two years or three years, right? Like if you go on your phone and your playlist, your songs are what you grew up with. They're what your parents grew up with. You know, we, the era and generations before us had incredible music, right? Yeah. We have Mm -hmm. 70, 80 years of rock and roll now. Like, so to look at modern worship as being like, we can only sing these songs. I find it ridiculous because nobody does that. So when I'm busting out songs, I'm busting out songs that are like early Bethel sometimes when I'm leading worship or like an older uh, Hillsong. And people are like, wow, that's that's an old one. I'm like, dude, it's 10 years old. How is that old? And one of those songs that was such a highlight for me when I was regularly leading worship was I Exalt Pete. Yeah. And that was written in the 70s. Yep. And the words are true. Yeah. One of the most important worship leaders that we were robbed of was Keith Green. You know, this guy, man, if if he hadn't died so young, he was 28 years old when he died in a plane crash. Like, the songs he was writing, I bet you you know most of them. If you go into Keith Green's Greatest Hits playlist, listen to it, you'd be like, oh yeah, we sing that, we sing that, we sing that. This guy, he was robbed from us young. Um, And I think... Uh, as a as a pastor and a leader, I hope your generation, you know, you guys are 10 years-ish younger than me. Steve's about five years. Younger. Yeah, yeah. But I hope your generation gets to experience, like, some of these older guys. You know, like, we just lost Gordon Lightfoot, right? Canadian legend. Had you heard of Keith Green before I just brought him up? By oh. name, but, like, I can't name a single song. Yes. Can you can you name one of Keith Green's songs? Nope. 
Can you name a Gordon Lightfoot song? No. <laughs> I could guess, and I will almost for sure be wrong. <laughs> okay. Music is not my thing. That's all right. That's all right. But what I'm saying is, I think, uh, I think as a as a people, it's not about when it was written, but about how how we posture ourselves, even to songs that are 50 or 60 years old. So just to throw probably his biggest hit at you, you know the song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful? Absolutely. That's Keith Green. Oh, okay. Right. So, legend. Legend. I'm glad I got to acknowledge him on this podcast. If you're, uh, if you're listening to this podcast today and you're hungry for worship curious about it reach out we're, we're gonna say that a lot because we we want to do community with you more than i think you want us to do community with you absolutely we, we 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 want to be part of your experience uh your expressions of of worship and of church and of of knowing god we want to disciple you we want we want you to walk away from encounters with us to enhance your, your mental health your spiritual health and, and your physical health. So if you're hungry for worship, I ask you to reach out through our emails, through our social, and we can point you to some cool cool music. We can also uh, invite you to some of our House of Worship worship gatherings. Um, and one also... One coffee. Here we can just have coffee and we can listen to worship music or you can sit in my living room and I'll play guitar for you. One or the other. <laughs> you know, we can do something. But here's the thing. I want you to learn posture. And, and I want you to understand that like pausing and positioning yourself to shut down the busyness and the anxiety for just a minute and go, God, you are worth it for this yeah. moment. That's what I want. And when we learn to do that, we will become a very healthy church. That's really, really powerful. And I'm glad you got to have this conversation and you're going to want to stay with us because we're going to learn next about apologetics and meet someone that is really interesting. And so don't go away. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce my friend to the listeners to the Way Niagara podcast. Welcome, Tony Petroni. Hello, Jordan. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that you invited me. And I'm glad you're here. This is you know, we've had such great conversations and listeners, I'd really just do want you to hear from him because Tony is just a genuinely interesting guy to talk to. And so I'm just happy that we get to share a conversation that, you know, is the kind of conversation that we would have over dinner or over coffee. And so Tony is a part of our community. He is also a licensed um, minister with Anchor Ministerial Fellowship, uh, which Chris and Steve and I are all a part of as well. And uh, that's actually how we met Tony. And so he's, you know, part of our Way family and our Anchor family. And so we are really excited about that. But just to introduce everyone to you, why don't you just tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of brief bio and, you know, what, where sure. you came from. Sure. Uh, well, uh, probably many, many years ago, my father passed away in 1984 and uh, we were living in this uh, townhouse and... Uh, my mother really didn't want to uh, to live there anymore. Uh, she wanted to move because there wasn't no Italian people. So we sold the house and we moved to uh, 15 Cranbrook. And I came to know this uh, my next door neighbor, 
and he had this really interesting story about God. His son uh, was healed um, from Ewing sarcoma. At that time, when he was diagnosed, uh, Ewing sarcoma was just newly discovered, and really the he was given a 5% chance of survival. He kept saying to me every time before I, I discovered this, is that as we were building a fence, he would say to me, this is a sign. So something would happen. This is a sign. Uh, and he would do that constantly, say it's a sign. I'm going, a sign of what? What are you talking about? Uh, he says, well, a sign of the end. Uh, I said, you got to be kidding me. That doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? The sign of the end of what? The sign of the end of the world, he'd say. So to make a long story short, in the 80s, they were sending out the Jesus videos. And they were just handing them out. We sat on a Saturday night. Uh, we sat and we watched the Jesus video. Nothing extraordinary about this Jesus video. Uh, I'd seen many Jesus videos. I was an altar boy. I knew Jesus. I knew about Jesus, let's say, but I didn't know Jesus. But the difference this time was at the end, they said the sinner's prayer. And I repeated the sinner's prayer. And as soon as I finished saying that, I felt this warmth that started from the bottom of my feet and slowly worked its way up until it completely engulfed me. It was like a warm hug from God. That's the way I, I, can, I, I can explain it. Um, and that set me off on a path. I had such a hunger for God's Word. <laughs> I ran to Cole's Notes. I didn't even know Christian bookstores were there, were, were around. And I bought a King James Version of the Bible. And I started in the book of Genesis. Uh, I don't know what... What, what to expect from the Bible? I had no idea because, you know, as, as Catholics, you're really not encouraged to read the Bible. So I had no idea what the Bible was. So I started reading in Genesis, and I'm going, this is the Bible? And I didn't know what really, really what to expect. But I, I, but I, perse I persevered, um, you know, and God, through His Holy Spirit, just kept enlightening me and enlightening me. Um, so... I began to think. I began to think because at this particular moment, I really didn't give my life. Well, I had, I guess, because I said the sinner's prayer. But I challenged myself to say, okay, if God does exist, then how do I know that God exists? There must be some way for me to, to understand how God exists. So I began to look into that. And I started off with probably one of the, the most amazing things that the Bible can offer is fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. Uh, God, if he is transcendent, uh, he must know the beginning from the end and everything in between. So when God says something, it must come to fruition later on. So I, I got into prophecy. Uh, I changed my, my, my look, outlook on things. Uh, I went and I got a, a master's degree in philosophy, apologetics, and theology. Um, and from there on in, I've had this amazing struggle to understand who God really is. Uh, and that's really where my love for apologetics comes in. And it's really cool, right? Like you had an experience with God. Mm. And that filled your entire body. But you were also someone 
with a deep understanding of science. Yes. And so can you give us just a little bit of background on on your your relationship with science, let's say, and how that impacted the way you looked at God when you were discovering him? Yeah, I did uh, I did transfusion medicine for uh, about 35 years and you know uh, transfusion medicine has to do with giving people blood transfusions. And when I read the Bible, I understand that, you know, as I began to read, I began to spot certain scientific facts in the Bible, especially when we got to Leviticus seventeen eleven, which says the blood is the life of the body. And that is so true. This is a book written by Moses so many years ago. And how does he know that the, bo- that the blood sustains us? The blood is probably one of the most complex uh, tissues that we have. All of it is still not fully understood, the capabilities of blood. It is a very complex thing. Uh, so as I began to read, these, these scientific facts uh, began to hit, hit me. And I'm going, okay, wow. And, and just to give you an example, uh, you know, uh, it says that, uh, it says that, Everyone, Jewish men, Jewish boys, Jewish babies, were supposed to get circumcised on the eighth day. Always struck me as, why the eighth day? Why not the seventh day? Why not the sixth day? Why not when they're 15, right? So what about the eighth day is amazing about the eighth day? Well, it, if we go back to the blood, uh, on the eighth day, there's a protein in the blood called prothrombin which is extremely important in clotting. It reaches its maximum height of 110% on the eighth day of life. So when you circumcise, the likelihood of someone bleeding out is slim to none. Just an amazing fact. You know, uh, so stuff like that, uh, as I look at, at, as, as I continue to read, these amazing scientific facts, these blood facts, these facts, you know, of a whole bunch of other things uh, just came to my mind. Uh, and I would say and I would think about them and I'm going, well, this has to be a book that transcends space and time. It's a trans, it's, it's a book from a, a different dimension, an extra dimensional book. Because how would someone like Moses, who was uh, raised in the Egyptian culture, understand about this. Who would write this? Uh, Unless you had an understanding of blood clotting. I can guarantee you Moses never had any understanding of blood clotting. But God did. You know, and God understood the significance of the blood. So stuff like that really kind of got to me. um, And makes me dwell into it even more. These are very important apologetic points that, that need to be made because when we look at it, I mean, Isaiah 40, 22 says that we sit on, on the circle of the earth. This is a guy that's living in Palestine. Okay? How does he know that the earth is a circle? The common convention of the days was that there was an, there was an elephant that was sitting, that was holding up the earth, that was sitting on turtles. That's what was believed at that time of Isaiah. But yet Isaiah says that the circle of the earth, we have the book of Job that tells us that the earth is suspended on nothing. 
That's gravity. Job is describing gravity. So all these little facts that I that I go through and that come to mind, I, I question because I'm a why guy. I want to know why things happen. So when I read something like this, uh, strong apologetic arguments for for God is in His transcendent Word, uh, people cannot conceive of anything that they cannot personally experience. So Moses was raised by the Egyptians, could not have known about stuff like this. Job could not have known about stuff like this. I mean, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, you know, he hangs the earth on nothing. I mean, that is a remarkable statement. Uh, you know, uh, Leviticus 13.46 tells us about quarantine. They stopped the bubonic plague by reading the book of Leviticus. Because the book of Leviticus says, if you're sick, take him out of the camp, keep him there for seven days, check him, and if he's okay, bring him back. What are they looking for? They're looking for germs. They're looking for stuff. If your pottery is cracked, throw it out. You know? Wash in running water. Because water tends to wash things away. If you see a carcass, don't eat it. Why not eat it? It's already dead. Why not? We can feast on it. But if it's dead, germs have started to, to and attack it. And this is thousands of years before there was anything understood or known about germs. Yeah. Or a lot of these, like we can look back on these things now and say, yeah, well, that's just good science. But the Bible knew those things before any scientist yeah. did. Germs were discovered in the 1900s. So, you know, Moses lived 4,000, 5,000 years ago. So that's not really close to the 1900s. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, it's a little distant. It's a little distant. So, I mean, you know, yeah. all these things that, that, that just pop up in, in this magnificent book uh, that really tell us about a magnificent creator who built everything out of love and kindness for us. Uh, and it just is an amazing thing. That's, yeah, and that's really, really good. And we, it's important that we, in our faith, engage our heart and our mind and our spirit. Like, we are all of those different things. And so having these kinds of conversations is, I think, a really important and valuable thing. Now, you've brought up the word apologetics a right. couple times. Right. For those that are not familiar with it, what is apologetics? Yeah, apologetics is not the art of uh, apologizing to people when you make I'm a sorry. mistake. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like, well, I say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. You know, apologetics is not that. So apologetics is really a discipline of defending the Christian faith through rational arguments, evidence, and the use of reason. Um, apologetics comes from the word apologia in the Greek, which means a defense. Um, so we seek a rational uh, defense for the Christian worldview, its beliefs and its practices. So the Christian apologist uh, presents, has been presented throughout history. This has happened throughout history. Uh, Paul in the book of Acts, uh, anytime you read that he defends the Christian faith, that's an apologetics. The word defense is apologia. Uh, so it's happened to everyone throughout history. Jesus performed apologetics. Paul performed apologetics. So it's, it's a common discipline that has happened throughout the ages. And, and it's also a very important discipline for Christians to get engaged in. Okay, Because 
we need to articulate and to defend our faith in thoughtful and persuasive manner. Um, it can also provide a bridge for sharing the gospel to those who have questions uh, or objections to Christianity. Um, and really what I want to stress is that, you know, apologetics um, is not, it does not take precedence over my faith in God. I do not believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior because of apologetics. Okay, that is an intellectual pursuit. My reason for loving Jesus is a personal pursuit, a heartfelt pursuit of Jesus. So there is a difference. Okay, uh, I use it to strengthen my faith, to, to tell people about Jesus, to lay the foundations of Christianity, to develop my own intellectual and spiritual tools that I need to respond to challenges to Christianity. You know? Well, and that's where, you know, 1 Peter 3.15 says to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Yes. And so many times we have conversations, and, and I'm, I'm in this boat as well, where someone may have a question, may have something that they, they just don't understand, or, some, or whatever that thought might be, and... We really want to explain it, but maybe it's something we've never thought about before, or it's something that we haven't had a chance to learn about yet. And and I just encourage you when those kinds of moments happen, that's that's when you press in, yeah, and you learn. And we take it a humble approach, and you know, not claim to have an answer when we don't, but to go and take that opportunity to learn, to to read. And this is why it's important to be reading scripture to be having these kinds of conversations to have, because not everyone is naturally studious and intellectual, but it is important that in our faith that we do engage our mind and that we do continue to learn. Exactly. Regardless of how long yes. we've, been, um, we've been a believer. I agree. And the thing is that, you know, First Peter, you just mentioned First Peter 3.15, that's, that's not an option. Okay, God didn't give us that as an option. Well, when you feel like it, if you don't feel like it, it's an imperative. That means you have to defend the hope that you have. It's something that is is God told us that we have to do. It's not an option. Now, of course, not everyone's going to be, you know, a mathematician or an astronomer or a cosmologist or whatever medical people. Of course not. That's not, you know, people don't have to have that broad understanding, you know, in order to, you know, to uh, to tell people about about apologetics, but it is incumbent upon us as believers to really learn what we're what we're what we're dealing with, uh, and we are dealing with with people that need hope, and there's the key word there, hope. We need to give these people hope. Um, you know, I just started that job as a chaplain, and you know, there's a lot of people who are hopeless in life. You know. We need to tell them about the hope, and we need to tell them that, yes, Christianity is true. It is true. Based upon the scientific evidence, the, the, uh, what, whatever we're looking at, medical evidence, uh, prophetic evidence, uh, the resurrection evidence, all these evidence are important because we need to understand 
people need to understand that they need Jesus. We need Jesus. And I think that, you know, we're not going to browbeat anybody. Uh, you know, that the, the apologetics is not about winning an argument. It's not about winning an argument or scoring points with someone. Apologetics is to bear witness to the truth of the gospel and the hope that it offers the world. We're not here to win, okay? Apologetics doesn't say, okay, I know this, I know that. We're here, left on this earth, for one reason and one reason only, to seek and to save that which is lost. And, the, and to give people a rational, and I use the word rational, this, uh, rational uh, evidence for why we believe what we believe. Because the Bible, no other religious book, really has any of this stuff in it. There's no prophecy in anything, in any other religious book. Uh, there's no scientific evidence in any other book other than the Bible itself. And this is the problem that we have to understand is that in order to reach the lost, we have to defend, especially nowadays. Christianity is under attack. It's under attack, and especially by evolution. And we need to understand that, you know, uh, you know, they come up with these weird theories of the multiverse, the evolution, all these things in order to eliminate God. But we can eliminate God because God is there. So all these things are futile attempts to eliminate the Creator. Uh, and that's really what apologetics is to me. To me, apologetics is it's just trying to tell people, you know what? God loves you. Look what He did for you. You know? Uh, and it's true. You know, the, the pages of the Bible are not written by old men. You know, they're not written by old men. You know, it was written over 1,500 years, 30 different authors, and not one contradiction. 66 books, not one contradiction. That's amazing. No one, unless you were, you were guided by the Holy Spirit, could come up with that kind of, that kind of uh, statistics. And that's the thing, right? Like I've had many people say to me, oh, well, you know, you just believe in that because for emotional reasons, for emotional comfort or this or that. And believe me, God in the hope that he brings us does bring immense emotional comfort. Yes. But it can also be backed up. That We're not talking about blind hope. Right. We're not talking about wishful thinking. Yes. We are talking about a hope rooted in reality and where evangelism is us maybe inviting people in to that faith, into that experience. Apologetics is another tool in our tool belt to answer some of those questions, to bring some of that rational and more studious information. And, and again, this is not necessarily a gift for all of us. Mm. Not everyone, you know, are big readers or into science. And, and we're not saying you need to be. No. But what we are saying is that as a believer, it is important to have an answer for the hope that you have. And to be a lifelong learner yes. is, I think, a very important thing. There is so much in the Bible that we will never understand it. You take every brain, every person, every brain that has ever existed, and all of its power is just on understanding God. We never will. Because God is far beyond our comprehension. But what we can do 
is be on the journey of learning mm. in humility, being willing to give an answer, but also knowing that the true source of all of those answers is the one that is the reason for the hope that we have. Amen. Well said. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, as I say, uh, God has set aside certain things. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not a, uh, you know, it's not a geography book. It's not this. It's not that. But the Bible is a is a is about redemption. But I I love the way God just kind of just throws something in there and goes, wait, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's a let me give you <laughs> let me give you an example. You know, in there is in Psalm 19:6, right? Uh, and this was something that, that scientists were laughing at for the longest time because Psalm 19.6 tells us that the sun has an orbit. It has a circuit. People are going, what do you mean? The sun doesn't have a circuit. It's recently discovered that the sun has its own circuit and it takes about a million years for it to go around, traveling at over 600,000 miles an hour. So these little scientific facts that God throws in there just to say, hey, you thinking of doubting me? Here it is. <laughs> you want to doubt me? Here, you, here, this is happening. You know, uh, and that's what I love about these kind of scientific little oddities that God puts in there. Uh, you know, it just brings his book to an extraterrestrial source. Yeah. Because some of the stuff cannot happen if, unless it's extraterrestrial. So, you know, uh, God is, he is outside of space and time. He is not confided to space and time. But God entered space and time 2,000 years ago, and he became one of us. And he sacrificed himself on the cross, and he died for our sins. Uh, you know, and it's really funny because if you look back in the book of Genesis, uh, you know, uh, Abraham... Um, cuts these animals and he cuts them in half, right? And you're supposed to walk through them. That was a covenant back then that people would do that. They would cut these animals in half and you would walk through them. Um, and that's a symbol that, you know what, uh, you're agreeing to that. Whoever doesn't come up with it, whoever doesn't, whatever the thing is, whatever they were saying, right? Uh, let's say, okay, I'm going to give you 5,000 barrels of wheat, and you can't supply 5,000, but then you have to pay the, the punishment for that. They did that. God puts Abraham to sleep. And God walks through it. So what an amazing, what an amazing representation of God's love. He put Abraham to, to sleep because he said, whether you make a mistake, whether I make the mistake, I'm going to pay for that consequence of your disobedience. Isn't that amazing? And it happened about three or 5,000 years later. Christ died on Calvary. So God, God paid the price for our mistakes. That is so good. It's amazing. And it's amazing. I'm gonna, and we're going to leave it there because I think that's such an important thing to remember that God that is outside of space and time beyond anything we could comprehend came into our reality because of his immense love for us. If you want to know more about that love, if you want to know more about that hope that we are talking about, reach out to us 
um, through Facebook, through um, our website, podcast at wayniagara.ca. We would love to be able to have that conversation with you. And of course, to know anything about what is going on around Way, um, wayniagara.ca, our social media. Tony, thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure, my friend. Thank you for having me, brother. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. I'm so glad we got to do this. And thank you for tuning in. Bye for now.